Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Coffee with Bobby. Today, I'm having coffee with Chris Ellie. Chris is a culinary genius, butcher, and owner of Goose the Market, a full-service butcher shop and specialty food and wine market, and smoking Goose Meadery in Indianapolis. From one kitchen to another, what's always remained on Chris's plate is his commitment to bringing farmstead handcrafted foodstuffs from the field to the table. Thank you so much for joining me to have coffee today, Chris. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. What's Tell us a little bit more about what's been happening in your world. What have you been up to lately? Uh, well, lately, I guess mainly what you could say we've been up to is really focusing on, uh, you know, trying to get our in-home e-commerce store up and running and then how that jives essentially with our retail stores because it's all the same inventory and you know so now we're selling it you know four or five different ways rather than just two different ways so it's been uh, it's been interesting doing that and and trying to get everything to work together over the past you know nine months to a year has it become more seamless over this period of learning what works and what doesn't work from a business standpoint uh it, it has i mean you know what was nice is we had already put a lot of these things kind of in motion so like the bones of them were all there they just hadn't really been like a primary source of our business uh, up until, you know, a year or so ago. Um, so it, it happened relatively seamless, seamlessly, surprisingly, mainly just because we had already all the you know, processes started and in place. Um, I don't think we would have, ever, you know, we weren't necessarily prepared for like the sheer amount of volume that we would see, especially on our e-commerce stores and, and home delivery services. Um, you know, re, you know, changing all those things around is never seamless by any means. Um, and then, you know, we've had other things that have just been, you know, surprises along the way that also, you know, throw a wrench in things. But, um, but quite honestly, it's just part of business and owning a business. It's just, you know, you're always dealing with, you know, it's not necessarily always a pandemic, but there's always something catastrophic right. almost happening at any moment in time. So. Yeah, you got to put those fires out and anybody who runs a business or owns a business knows that for sure. There's always stuff that you're juggling in the air. And Absolutely. for the people watching and the listeners who may not know this, but you guys have two locations, correct? That's correct, yes. We have the original market that we opened, uh, I guess, about 13 years ago, be 14 years this year. Uh, and then our USDA uh, production facility, charcuterie production facility that we opened, it'll be 10 years this fall. And what sort of got you into this love for having a butcher shop? And I've seen you guys start from the very beginning here in Indianapolis. And it was such a welcome thing because I returned when you guys started this, I was returning from Barcelona and I had done my master's over there. And when I saw this open, I was like, yes, I am in love. This is what I've been missing here. It reminds me of being back in Europe and travels to Spain and France. What sort of started that love for you into this? Um, well, food, obviously, you know, I've always thought food, you know, thought of it as something that just bring, naturally brings people together. I mean, it's, you know, always part of the community. It's always part of art. It's a part of all these things that, you know, people can relate to and uh, people enjoy it. And it's something that you can, you know, both do socially and professionally, all these types of things. So I've always... I've always been around food. I've always loved food and, and grown around food. But I mean, in terms of like what what I love about those stores in Europe and even in some of the you know other cities in the country, and a lot of small cities are getting these types of stores now too, is really just the 
like the sense of community and belonging. I think that's what most people love about the small neighborhood stores is that, um, you know, that they belong there. They're, they're much a part of the neighborhood as, as the neighborhood is, you know, or the people in the neighborhood as part of the neighborhood. Um, it, it, it's kind of both ways. I mean, you know, I mean, the, obviously the neighborhood would exist without us, but, you know, it's really one of those things that we just feel like it's, a, um, you know, it's a, brings a huge sense of community to that, to that area. And that's why we've always loved those stores. I think why, you, you know, people love traveling and seeing, uh, going to these types of stores is because you feel that as soon as you walk in, even if it's your first time, you just feel that like, you know, hospitality and you feel welcome and comfortable and all those sorts of things. So I mean, that's what we've always set out to do. And I can honestly say from the day that you guys have opened in Indianapolis, it's always that welcoming feeling. The staff, everybody who's working there is like, gets to know the customers and you have created that community and sort of started sort of a live work play where the original Goose in the Market is in Indianapolis. Cause I remember you guys were one of the first businesses that moved in off of 25th in Delaware. And I was driving downtown not too long ago and I travel a lot for work. And I was like, man, it's really grown now. Yeah, it has. I mean, the neighborhood's grown. And I mean, there was a, there was a reason we chose that neighborhood. It was under an urban redevelopment program at the time. And it was about three years in. Um, so, I mean, that we knew that that neighborhood was going to grow. It wasn't like it's, it's growing necessarily because of us. I think it does kind of change the, you know, people that are interested in those neighborhoods. I mean, a lot of people want to come back to an urban neighborhood because of stores like ours. I mean, hopefully because of stores like ours. I mean, you know, that's not the type of experience that you can get in a lot of the suburbs and, you know, they they belong in the urban neighborhoods or part of the urban neighborhoods. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that neighborhood's just been, and, and we did, and we were li live work and, you know, that was kind of a, uh, you know, a new thing then um, to kind of live and work in the same place. We no longer live in that building, but I still feel, um, you know, a lot of our neighbors are still friends, you know, they're still, we still take our kids over there to go trick or treating, um, you know, so those types of things, you know, our, our kids still have friends in that neighborhood. So we still, you know, feel like we live there, even though it's not necessarily where our residence is right now. That's amazing. Yeah. And with that, so you've started out with Goose the Market, the predominantly butcher shop, and then you opened up Smoking Goose Meadery, mm -hmm. which got you into more of the wholesale sales of charcuterie. What sort of started you developing, you know, these old world recipes for charcuterie from like the saucy songs to the prosciuttos to whatever sausages, um, you can yeah. name them all off if you want, but for yeah. people listening, like anything you can find practically at a French meat market and charcuterie, you can find here at Smoking Goose. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I always really, so I, I grew up cooking and kind of like a la minute, like fast paced cooking. And, and when I realized that it wasn't necessarily like I wanted to continue that lifestyle of, of really even that style of cooking and preparation, for me, it was like a way to slow down and say, I really like this process. I really want to like engage in this process. I like the process of curing and aging. Um, you know, I like the process of taking stuff that, um, taking, you know, different parts of animals, not just the primal cause, but, you know, and making something beautiful out of them. So, I mean, there's all these things I really enjoyed about it that I didn't realize until I started doing it. Um, and yeah, so the, the, you know, the process of doing it and bringing those things, um, it was, 
it was and still is, you know, obviously like the, you know, a method of preservation, but also a way for us to produce something that um, can be shipped, you know, can sell in, we can sell into hotels, we can sell into restaurants, we can sell into other retailers, um, you know, essentially kind of design our own uh, line of charcuterie. Um, you know, that was like kind of a, a personal dream of mine to be able to do something like that, produce something out, you know, I was always really, uh, I grew up around Capriol and, and Judy Shad and you know, everything that they've done there. And we grew, I grew up in restaurants buying their cheese and, and, you know, they were kind of one of these first true artisans that I can remember at least in Indiana. And, you know, I always really enjoyed their products, you know, what they, you know, what they did, how true they were to their products and how long they'd been around. Um, and, you know, I always thought that I'd want to produce something like that. I mean, obviously not cheese, but, uh, you know, produce something that I could, you know, uh, that we could, you know, invest all of our, you know, energy into making the product and something that we're really proud of and that we really love and that we would be able to provide it to other restaurants and hotels and retailers and all those types of things for people to consume at a later time. You know, kind of this difference between like completing a plate that you get to present to somebody right away and they have like this immediate gratification or satisfaction and changing that into something that, you know, uh, is not so immediate and it's more of a delayed um, satisfaction or reaction to it. And it's been a, it's been a cool process to do it. Um, you don't always get that immediate satisfaction. You know, it's a, you know, sometimes it's months after you make it. I mean, you, we make something and a lot of times it's not ready for two, three months later. Um, so there's a lot of patience involved and a lot of, um, um, you know, really kind of, you kind of have to predict how that product's going to present itself when somebody's cutting it in their home, which is also, you know, a whole note, a whole nother challenge. So packaging and transport and all that kind of stuff. Making sure it's aged properly, I'm sure is a huge factor into that. And in, from like making sure it's aged to it's packaged to when it's delivered. Yeah. But having those moments, I'm sure you've seen it when people come back into the store, or the orders coming back in of like, they see some of the best meats that you can find in the country. Yeah. And when you hear that, and when you see the same customers coming back or the same chefs coming back to purchase things, I'm sure that offers you that fulfillment that is not that instant gratification that somebody might be in the restaurant having or at their homes, but you see it after the fact. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of pride in that, what our, what our team can do. You know, we have amazing teams. We've always had amazing people to work with. And I mean, that's always been one of the best parts. It's just been, you know, um, building these teams, working with these teams, getting to know them and their families. And, um, you know, and it's been, you know, there's, it's been a lot of people over the years. I mean, there's a, you know, a lot of people that have gone on to do restaurants and other production, but, you know, it's always comes back to like, there's, I think a lot of these people still have, when they have workforce, they still have a sense of pride of they've been a part of producing something. Um, I think it's cool that people know, you know, like when they do travel from out of state or, people that do travel out of town from Indiana and they see our products in, you know, Seattle or they see them in Austin or San Francisco or something like that. I think they, you know, they're really proud of that and excited about that. And I mean, obviously I am as well. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I had hoped that we would be able to do that, but never did I think that we would, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm always a little doubtful. So it's like, I'm still surprised every day that, um, you know, we have these products all over the place now, which is great. It is definitely amazing. I was one of those people when I travel and 
uh, different uh, marketing programs that I've worked in the past. I was actually placed at a bunch of Whole Foods and throughout the country um, for different projects. And I would always walk around and I'm like, oh, they've got smoking goose. This is the <laughs> one to buy, guys, if you guys are looking for charcuterie. Yeah. Uh, so I was doing a little extra push for you guys in some of these states because when we're talking quality, it is definitely quality. And like you were saying about the teamwork, I really feel like that stems from your leadership between you and your wife and what you've instilled from the very beginning. And how is that have you seen like effect overall throughout these years? I think it's huge. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, I mean, a big part of it is just that we work every day. I mean, both Molly and I, Molly's, you know, working at the store every day. I'm working at Smoking Goose every day. Um, you know, we, I think it makes a big difference that we are just involved and like, and not overly involved, but I mean, we, you know, it's a family run business. I mean, we're involved uh, in a lot of mainly everything that goes on but we, we don't do everything you know so it's just like it's always like this teamwork thing and like developing people I mean it's a lot different now I mean we have almost 50 employees now and when we started and we, we really we started with two uh, other than ourselves so four in total um so and I mean that's not a huge company but I mean it's a big company for us um and it, you know I think a big part of it is just you know taking care of the people and trying to grow as much as we can every year I mean that, that they have a better life that they can enjoy more and that they can grow that they can learn um i think that's a you know a big part of it but uh, i mean most of it in my opinion probably just i guess really comes down for one a love of food and respect for each other and support and challenge i mean you know really just trying to push everybody to be better all the time um i think that you know it's an even balance i mean it's got to kind of be a balance between those things at least for us it's got to be a balance for those things I mean, now that we've been doing it for 13 years, you know, we're able to take, we have such a good team and everybody's able to take vacations, including Molly and I. So I mean, we're, you know, we don't have to be there every single day or every minute of the day. Um, and that's, you know, obviously a, uh, goes back to having, you know, working with such great people. Um, so that's, a, you know, uh, obviously something that we're also very proud of that we're able to do that and that our employees are able to take vacations and take time off and that sort of thing. And that's a huge step for anybody who's had small businesses or, you know, working online. And it's always this, like, what is the work-life balance, you know, mm -hmm. of like, can we manage it? Can we make it happen? I don't know. Will our baby shop like still survive if we're gone? But once yeah. you hit that point and find that balance of like, okay, I can take a week off. I can take another week off here yeah. as long as like, you have the people in place to do it in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're never really, I mean, when you own a small business, you're never totally disconnected. I mean, part of, you know, again, being a, you know, what we hope to be a good leader is being accessible. I mean, so even when we're on vacation, we're typically either texting or emailing or, you know, taking calls with our employees and that sort of thing. But that's just part of it. Like, I don't want to be totally disconnected. I mean, not that I don't feel like I can, but I mean, it's just something I enjoy. Like, I don't think of it as like, oh, you know, they're, you know, I got, you know, they're calling me all the time or texting me all the time. You know, sure, sometimes it gets that way. But quite honestly, like, I'd be mad if they didn't call me if they were having problems, if I couldn't help them out in some way. So, you, you know, but that's just part of, I think, a decision you make as a, you know, small business owner that like, that's just going to be part of your life, you know, and it's just, uh, if you're not okay with it, then you're probably not in the right 
you know, right in the, in the right business or in the right line of work, I guess. <laughs> For sure. In the right fields or, you know, I grew up with parents having small businesses and it was on a daily basis that that was the conversation that was going to happen over dinner. If my parents had trouble at the office or they needed to figure out something, that was what happened. And you mm -hmm. like, you're right. Vacations were few and far between at the beginning. I'm, but if it's what you enjoy and what you've sort of grown up with as a whole too, you may not have been in the business industry when you were younger, yeah. but just being around it. Um, and I know your kids will appreciate it later on in life right. very much going like, I'm so glad that they did this and that they sort of showed me the ropes for whatever they do in life. Absolutely. What was your family business? What type of business was it? Um, so they had a few different ones. So they did a customer um, furniture marketing. And then uh, it's been probably about 10 years ago. My mom had a travel agency as well. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, great. a few different things, but it's definitely helps when you learn the ropes of like, life can be chaotic, but here we are, we're still rolling with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And working. so yeah, do you, what is some of your favorite aspects of the world of charcuterie and making um it's you know it's it's still a lot of it always goes back to the people one of the things i really love about it is it opens us up to all these other people that own shops similar to ours or have run restaurants similar to what i've worked in so you get to meet all these wonderful people all over the country and engage with them and people i would have never met before um you know, I think that there's like a kind of a mutual respect for other people that produce it. So meeting other people that, you know, have a similar style of business or make a similar type of product um, and learning things from them, you know, sharing things, um, sharing ideas. Uh, those are always, you know, the, probably the things I enjoy the most. I mean, the product itself, I mean, actually producing charcuterie, uh, it's, you know, learning the patience and, and learning, you know, to take good notes and to look back and say, if something went wrong, went, went wrong, how do we fix it? I mean, you know, over the course of months when you're aging these products, if you don't take good notes, or you don't know what happened to it, uh, you're kind of at a loss and you kind of, you, you know, you essentially wasted a, a good amount of time um, not learning. Um, so, I mean, you know, as time goes on, I mean, everything, everything impacts it, humidity, uh, airflow, the amount of salt, like all these like different things uh, really impact the pro the finished product. I mean, where, you know, no two pieces essentially could taste the same if, you know, handled in different ways. Um, and so you, until you learn how to control or look for different problems, and those are, those are probably, it's the hardest thing to teach people because you really have to do it for, you know, it's not a matter of doing it for a couple of months or a couple of years, like really to see problems happen uh, over a long period of time, you have to do it for, you know, decent amount of time before you can really start to learn those things. And when you see people get that and you see people like all of a sudden it starts to click and they understand, oh, I understand. I, I remember why that, I remember when we did that. I remember what happened when we did that and, you know, how to, how to improve things. Um, that's always fun too, to, to see people after a few years of being involved in it to like the light go off and say, hey, I recognize this problem and I know how to, you know, how to solve this problem and I understand why it's doing this. Um, there's a lot of food science that goes into it. And some of it's just like old school knowledge of what happens to salt and meat when you combine the two. But there's a lot of other, you know, really uh, 
really cool science, really cool food science that goes into it um, that you can, I guess, kind of geek out on as well. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think they're, they're, the love of it comes from, it's like challenging, like it's still challenging. It's, you know, still, it's like a, a constant um, thing that you just never feel like, I mean, you just feel like, I guess you're practicing all the time. You know, you never really feel like, oh, I've made it. Like we, you know, I feel like we make some of the best charcuterie in the country, but I still want it to be better. You know, like I still want to learn more and, and do more and, and grow and challenge and challenge ourselves to do better. Uh, and that's part of what I think what I really enjoy about specifically the, the product itself. And how did you start learning how to make it? Was it something that you were just interested in or did you have mentors that helped teach you or? Um, really start learn how to make it just by making a lot of mistakes and really kind of just screwing it up, quite honestly. Um, I think that's some of the best learning curve to do is to just try it. I mean, I read a lot about it, you know, did a lot of research. Um, I, I guess I got mainly, it was always kind of a process how I got into or to get turned on to it. I mean, I started with butchering. I mean, really, obviously I started with cooking, but then I kind of got into the butchering side of things because I was doing a lot of the center, center of the plate type stuff, like steaks and chops, specking stuff out and going to processing facilities, um, specking them out for companies and selecting certain cuts and, you know, pricing cuts and, you know, figuring out where cuts were coming from and why they were cut a certain way. So I really started getting, you know, I was really intrigued with the butchering. Um, and then that's kind of what eventually led down this road. I never really had like a mentor, but I definitely had peers that I was working with. We all started kind of get into it at the same time. Uh, There's probably two or three other guys in particular that I worked with um, in Chicago in like the early 2000s that uh, we all started kind of getting into it at the same time. Um, and just doing it a little bit here and there in the restaurants, um, and learning what we could. Like I said, it's really a matter of just reading, uh, hopefully doing things right, but also making mistakes and throwing things out and trying again. Um, and that's kind of how it started. I didn't, I didn't risk, I don't know if it'd be a luxury or not because it didn't happen to me, but I didn't necessarily have like the, the, idealist, the idealistic like two year stint in Europe working for a, you know, a mentor uh, guide that showed me everything. Um, so it's kind of, it's always kind of been a little bit more of learning uh, as I go. And you have definitely learned as you <laughs> gone, like the product speaks for itself. And for people watching this and listening and wondering, you're like, I don't know, I have never tried it. Go out, go order some smoking goose charcuterie. You will not be disappointed and you'll keep shipping it to your house. Um, it's one of those things, like I remember I used to teach also at Butler part-time and you guys were on my way from Greenwood to Butler's campus. And I would teach evening classes and I would pick up charcuterie or smoked salmon or whatever was fresh and have it for my dinner and snack. Uh, before class and it was like one of these things like oh I'm driving by here I go <laughs> I gotta grab dinner tonight right. yeah. um, but that's like you said like community the learning the learning process like when you start something even no matter what industry somebody is in you have to learn from your failures mm -hmm. and if you don't then you're not really accomplishing anything right 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 
and I don't know that you're really learning. You're not learning that like whole problem solving of it. Like it's cool when you're working with somebody and they know exactly what they're doing and they show you all the right ways to do it. But then when you make a mistake on your own and if you don't know how to fix that, that's where you really get yourself in trouble. But like you said, every business, uh, you know, really kind of every line of work, you really just kind of have to do the hands on and just dig in and, and, you know, learn it. It's going to get messy and you get back in there when stuff happens and you start back over again and get back in the kitchen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if somebody is listening to this today and they're running their own business in whatever industry that they're in, what's one piece of advice that you would give them being a leader? Um, be humble. Um, you know, uh, you know, know when you've made a mistake and know when to own up to it and accept it. I think that's really hard for a lot of people to do. It's kind of, it always seems like the more people you have working for you, um, the more people that are looking to you for answers constantly. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have the answers and sometimes you don't have the answers and you just have to accept the fact that you're not always going to make the right decision or have the right answer. And I think that's, that's probably one of the things in terms, in terms of like running a business and having, you know, employees that you're responsible for um, and trying to not only grow the business, but challenge them and, and, personal growth for those employees. Um, I think for them to see that you really care and that you, you know, you, you're humble and that you make mistakes and that you know how to own up to those mistakes are all really important things. And it's so vital to see that from a leader and also stemming down through each and every employee when they mm-hmm. feel it. It's one of those things that's like, somebody really does care about me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you had to create like a dream meal, like a last meal, what would it include? <laughs> My cooking it or somebody else cooking it? <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I really enjoy, I just, uh, I mean, quite honestly, I just enjoy comfort food. I mean, there's like, like I enjoy a really good lasagna, enjoy really good like fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Um, I love like, you know, braised mustard greens or braised greens in general. I like like salty and sweet and sour. So, uh, you know, those are probably the things that I would typically go to. Um, That's not, you know, I I find more, you know, comfort and like fulfillment in those types of foods. Um, You know, I'm always impressed with a number of different foods and I really enjoy trying, you know, all kinds of new things. and seeing new things, but when it comes down to like, oh, this is like, you know, you know, if you could have anything right now, a lot of times it'd be something pretty simple and, and comforting. And that's the food that normally takes you back to a memory or a place back home. So for you, does it take you to one of those places? Absolutely. I mean, like, especially lasagna, my mom making lasagna when we were kids, that was always one of the things. Um, uh, for sure. And then, you know, a friend of mine that makes a really good uh, fried chicken that I, I've always loved. I always think of like my relationship with him and his wife and that, you know, what I've learned from him. Um, and so, yeah, every time I have like a good fried chicken, it reminds me of him, both of them actually. Um, so yeah, those types of things, absolutely. And, and, you know, a big, rich, hearty soup, you know, that's another thing that really like takes me back to certain places. So yeah, absolutely. I love those things. 
And spinning off of that, let's dig a little deeper. How has this story of food, like your connection to it and relating to these stories and these memories helped you create new food items, whether it's charcuterie, whether it's things that you carry at Goose to create those stories and those memories for others? I think, I mean, I think it's a really important, you know, when you're selecting ingredients, not only to sell, but also selecting ingredients to produce something with. I think that like sense of connection or somehow somebody needs to be able to relate to that, right? And yeah, there's a lot of these like very traditional things that can be made with ingredients that everybody expects them to be a certain way. So if you're gonna make that, if you're gonna do that and you're gonna call it that specific item, it's gotta be really good. It's gotta just be well done. I mean, quality ingredients and just done very simply. But when you're selecting things or you're creating something new that maybe some people aren't necessarily like used to seeing on a menu or used to seeing in a store, um, I think a lot of that has to, you know, relate. Sure, there's like all these packaging, you know, especially when you're selecting something that you're going to retail in a store. I mean, it's how does it appear and the price point, all these things, but really more than anything, like how is somebody going to relate to that? Like, are they going to know how to use it? If they don't know how to use it, then, you know, what is that connection to something in their life? And I find that, um, you know, they're, I mean, you, you can never go wrong with quality. I mean, you can never go wrong with just a high quality ingredient and you can never go wrong with something that isn't just naturally found or naturally forged. So we're always looking for like flavor profiles that, that just makes sense. I mean, it makes sense because, um, you know, the ingredients are either grown near each other or they, they typically pair well together or they balance each other out. Um, I think those are all things that are really important when, you know, trying to either create something new or select something that you, you I mean, I mean, since you're just trying to convince somebody to try it, you, you want to convince somebody to try it, you're wanting to, um, you're wanting to appeal to them in a way that is, is going to get them excited. Um, and so in order to do that, it's got to kind of make sense, you know and just be a little bit out there, out of their comfort zone, like still have ties into it, but then throw in a little curveball so that it entices them to keep trying new things, right? Yeah, I, I, exactly, exactly. And it, that's what you want. When when you say the name or they see it for the first time, you want to see like their eyes light up and that excitement, like, oh, spruce tips. You know, like I've seen, you know, I've seen them before, I've heard of them. I've known somebody use them, but I've never tried them. And this sounds really interesting. You know, like you want something that really, yeah, it's, it's going to grab their attention. It's going to be a little out of their comfort zone, but they still um, are familiar with it uh, in, in some way or another. Amazing. So for somebody out there listening, what is your go-to charcuterie board? If somebody's out there going, Lord, I love charcuterie. I'm going to have a party. What do I put on it? Um, I like a nice selection, balanced selection, color. So like typically we'll pick a salami, a dry cured whole muscle and like a pate, you know, instead of, you know, instead of everything looking the same, only slightly different. I like a lot of variation when it comes to the salami and same kind of same when it comes to the cheese. I like, um, uh, you know, a nice soft ripened cheese, uh, maybe a blue cheese and aged, you know, something again, balanced different textures, balanced different colors different flavor profiles. Um, and then, you know, so those are kind of just basic places to start instead of just saying, I'm going to get three different types of salami. Um, 
that are just maybe a little different. Like this one's black pepper, this one herb. I mean, like more excitement uh, by variety. I, mean, I really like the variety and I like the balance of flavor. So in the balance of flavor, obviously with charcuterie, you're gonna have some salt. Sometimes you're gonna have some smoke and some richness and fattiness. So you're always gonna want things that cut through those. Um, typically like a sweet uh, accompaniment, uh, something like a jam or marmalade. Um, so mustards are obviously always going to be great, but then there's other ways to spice that up with like mustardas that have a little bit of sharpness in the vinegar and some acidity um, and then some sweetness as well. Um, uh, so again, you know, dried fruits and nuts. I mean, these are all obviously things that pair well for a reason. Uh, and you really just want to be thinking about balancing all those, you know, all those flavor profiles and textures and colors and thickness of the slices and height of the of the board and all those types of things. I mean, it's a popular thing to do right now, but I'm always amazed at how many terrible, you know, even you just see them wherever pictures, restaurants, you know, stores, like how terrible they can be. I mean, it's really it seems like a simple thing. Um, but if you don't have that variety, I just think they look boring and, and, and just kind of, you know, I don't know, thrown together. I mean, it would also probably taste the same too. Like if you put three salamis on there, even though they have a few different like added flavors, like you said, if it was more black pepper or more herbal in it, you know, and you have two different cheeses with it, it's going to be that same section of flavor. Whereas mm -hmm. if you would have had more of a mix yeah yeah i mean if they're the same diameter and they're all pork and they're all relatively the same grind size so relatively the same kind of texture yeah i mean a little spice here and there is it's just not that's not enough variety to me to me i mean the you know the grind size should be different the diameter of the salami should be different um you know maybe it's it's also like a lamb and pork salami or it's a you know a game meat or that sort of thing um but then also you know you know, throwing in whole mussels like a, a nice prosciutto or a lomo or you know something along those lines and a pate. Pate has the creamy, rich texture to it. Um, so again, yeah, just variety. Add variety. Don't be afraid to play. Yep. If you're out there going, okay, well, I'm going to go to the store and do this. Like, don't be afraid to try something. Absolutely. Like, the beauty of cooking and food and appreciating food in general is being able to try something new, find a new love find a new way to connect. Mm -hmm. And and one of my favorite things that just along those lines is like, don't just make it about charcuterie, like don't just make it about the meat. Like there's so much, there's so many good smoked seafoods and tin fish out there. I mean, like you said, you spend some time in Barcelona, you know how, how much a part of that culture it is, but putting a nice tin of, you know, preserved oysters or, you know, um, uh, you know, even sardines or you know, mackerel or that, that sort of thing on a charcuterie board is amazing. Like total variety, total like, you know, and it is it's the same thing. It's preservation. It's just, you know, obviously preservation of fish. Um, that's a great way to like really kind of spice it up. You're speaking my language here. <laughs> like smoked meat, smoked yeah. fish. Uh, anybody who knows me is like, we can always find her in the fish section. Yeah. Um, but this is so true. When I went to Portugal to see one of my good friends who lived in Madrid and we were just meeting up, that was one of the things that we did was bring back lots of tinned fish from Portugal because it's of the highest quality over yeah, there. It's so good. 
it uh, is delicious. Uh, I tried to save it for a, a bit, but it did not last long after yeah. that trip. Um, but people were like, you brought back canned sardines? And I'm like, yeah. don't knock it until you try it. Right. Right? Like, it's totally different than what you've ever had here. You know? Yeah, it's different. And you know, there's now a restaurant, I don't know if it's still there in Chicago, but that was um, part of what they did on their menu and they were one of the first ones mm -hmm. and they had a whole section of 10 fish. And then I started asking them, and I was like, now is this from Portugal? Now where exactly are these from? Yeah. And the waitress was like, let me go check. I need to check on this first. <laughs> But it is when you learn about the process of the food and how it's preserved and how it's cared for, the taste is elevated. It's something different from what you've ever experienced. And it's not your typical chicken of the sea tuna that you're yeah. going to find at Kroger. Yeah, yeah. I know they're amazing. It's amazing the variety. And we're lucky because for years you could you couldn't get these in the States. You'd have to, you know, kind of smuggle them in like you did or bring them back. I don't know if it was really smuggling, but now there's actually people that are importing them, like good quality, uh, you know, good quality products that's being imported now. Uh, we've started, you know, we started carrying a whole line both at the store and um, uh, at the Smoking Goose in the public smokehouse, um, which I guess didn't really mention, but that's a store, like a, a wholesale of the public store that we have at Smoking Goose. It's also where we do all of our e-commerce out of. So you know, if you're on our website, you can see all these tin fish that we're carrying now, which they're just amazing. But one of the, I love taking them. Um, I do a lot of backpack, you know, hiking, camping, and a lot of hunting. And I just love taking them and just cracking a little bit open, set them on the fire and, and just heating them up in the tin. And then you have this nice like broiled fish just served with saltine crackers and, and a little bit of this this um, uh, this hot sauce that we have imported. It's, it's Esclar, the name of the hot sauce and stuff is just amazing. It's so good. Ooh, I'll have to try it that way. Yeah. I just like pop open the can and add it to salad and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna have to try the heating method. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Chris, as we begin to wrap up here, one of the questions that I always end the show with is what has been one of the biggest blessings over the past year? Oh, there's been a lot. You know, I think a lot of people have had a tough year professionally and personally. And I've, um, I don't know if I'd, I've enjoyed it, you know, and I think what I've really enjoyed uh, has been the time that I've had with my family is probably, you know, the best, I'm, you know, I had a huge travel year slated and we would have gone, you know, I don't know, I would have been traveling a ton this past year, mostly for work, but also for fun. So obviously not doing that, you know, just realize how much time you miss out, um, you know, just being around your family. And it's been great. Um, uh, that I think that's been great. You know, I've been able to spend a lot of time uh, kind of focusing, I wouldn't say redirection, but just like focusing on what's really important in life, both for my family, but also for our businesses. Um, and I think that's been uh, really nice. So I think that those are probably the, the, the two things that I never would have had the opportunity to do, uh, you know, really just stop life where it is and like focus on what you really enjoy and what you really love. And that's what's been really great. That's amazing. Yeah. Where can people find more information out about you, about Smoking Goose, Goose the Market, social media websites? Yeah, all of those, all of them. So yeah, Smoking Goose and Goose the Market, I'm, I'm really, you know, 
active on I mean tons of photography and pictures of, you know of the business and all the people and everything that goes on here on both of our social media on Facebook and Instagram um, you know we obviously smokinggoose.com and goosethemarket.com links to a bunch of stuff that we do um, and then you know our shop our store is shops shop.smokinggoose.com um, and that's a way to you know be able to buy products and have them shipped all over the country Wonderful. I'll make sure to link all of those wherever you are watching or listening to this episode from, and you can connect directly to Chris. Order some amazing meat products, um, also grocery products, just fine grocery specialty items that you're not going to find on the shelves of your local grocery store. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. It was great. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And as we wrap up this episode, guys, I just want to encourage you to have fun with food, create those memories, take a little extra time, sit down at dinner tonight and play, like enjoy it, savor the moments. Uh, this has been another episode of Coffee with Bobby and Chris Ellie. Thank you so much.